Are you ready to play? This is Fabian Seewald, your host at the CRT Podcast, and today we dive into the world of playfulness. Welcome to the Sea Arts Podcast. We build a bridge between arts and business and want to inspire you to see arts. Well, welcome everybody to a new episode of the Sea Arts Podcast. After our very first episode with Victor Key, I'm very happy to have another great artist and juggling artist with us today. It's Anthony Trail. He's been juggling for over 20 years and changed from juggling molecules in his chemistry class at university towards juggling and manipulating objects. Through his unique way of both performing but as well facilitating, he achieves to create a very special bond between audiences and artists. He challenges artists with his unique approach of blending different arts disciplines together and grow as an artist into a new holistic self. In 2015, he's put together his wisdom into the book, The Pearls of Juggling, an inspirational manual for performers with a compilation of thought-provoking ideas and engaging exercises and hints. Last weekend, he successfully achieved the crowdfunding of the German translation, so an even broader audience can get access to it. I'm very excited to have Anthony with us today talk about his book, Juggling in General, and as well his latest project. So please, let's welcome Anthony with us. Hello, Fabian. <laughs> Thanks a lot for, for joining on the short notice, Anthony. And to start off, we always want to get to know you a bit better as a person. Where are you right now, but also where did you grow up and how did you get into the arts on this journey called life? Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, this is uh, all... Um, okay, so basically I, I was uh, brought up in England. Um, my mother's side of the family is from London. My father's side of the family is from, from Cornwall, from the very tip, from Penzance. And um, just before I was a teenager, we moved to Cornwall. And um, so we're living by the sea and very natural area. And, um, and I, was, I was just a normal kid, you know? I mean, I, did, I, uh, I wasn't into juggling then. I got into juggling later and I was pretty shy I reckon but uh, I enjoyed I enjoyed studying sciences and mathematics and, uh, and and all this and I felt rather jet streamed you know and uh, which which took me to university to study chemistry and then all of a sudden I started to think you know I mean like especially when I was at university there was a, there was a, a comedian lady and um The university always said, "Ah, oh, this comedian, she came from this university, and I couldn't fit the together things together. How could someone go to the university and then become a comedian? You know, it was, it didn't work out in my head, you know. And, uh, and at that point, I started to get the idea that perhaps there was a way of stepping out of this uh, conveyor belt way, of, you know, that you would go into a job and then this and then this and then your pension, you know, <laughs> and." Um, so I wasn't so happy after I finished studying uh, chemistry at uh, university about going and looking for a job immediately. I felt at 21 that I hadn't really seen much of the world at all. And, um, and with, uh, with a friend, we went to the, to the EJC in, in France, in Grenoble. 
And uh, basically, it was the first time I'd ever been in an airplane. I looked out of the window and I just see all these tiny houses, you know, and the mountains. And I was just blown away. I was like, there's no way I can go back now. You know, there's there's too much for me for me to see. You know, I was like, I'd, I'd cut the chains somehow. And my and as soon as we landed, I cancelled the ticket. And my friend was like, "What? <laughs> you what? What?" <laughs> so, uh, so anyway, so I didn't have a credit card, I didn't have a bank card or anything with me whatsoever. I, I had like, but I had all my juggling stuff, you see. And then uh, I met um, I met uh, Peter Schwando, and he's from he's from Germany. I'm not, I can't really remember where from, but we started off performing together basically. And he was like a born performer. You could see it. He was really out there. And, uh, and uh, myself, I was a little bit shyer, a little bit more technical, let's say. And, uh, and um, so I, anyway, I'll, I'll go back to this in a second. <clears throat> so then I traveled around for another two years until I finally arrived in Rome. And in Rome, I started, um, I held like a month juggling course there and I basically met all the jugglers in Rome and uh, I met uh, I met a juggling family there and I felt that this was a place for me to for me to settle down and um, yeah then I met a girlfriend and I met my yoga master and it was really the right place for me to stay for a few years and I, stu- I studied uh, as, as a self-taught juggler, let's say, I went to clown classes, to dancing classes, to acrobat, um, gymnastic classes, all sorts of workshops I could possibly do about performing. And then I was I continued performing in the streets and uh, in the squares and, and on TV and all sorts of things. And um, it wasn't until 2003 that... Um, that uh, I, I went with my, my then girlfriend to, to see the open day at the Dimitri School in, in Switzerland. And I was just so impressed with the quality of, uh, of the work there and the knowledge of the teachers. And I just thought, I have to go here. You know, this, this is just calling me, you know. And uh, it's a big step. I was 28 then. And uh, the cutoff age there is 26. But I've been doing all this training, all this yoga. So I was more like a 20-year-old physically, you know. But I had the experience of an older person, you know? And I was in a class with much younger, with much younger students. And um, actually, we had a class of 11 in the end with eight different mother languages at the Dimitri School. So this was, uh, this was like unbelievable um, amount of stimulus and uh an an inspiration from how culturally you know how everybody out and it was also difficult no (laughs) interacting with so many different cultures because things that are normal for you aren't normal for other people and um so anyway after the dimitri school i decided i went to um gran Gran canaria with one of my 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 friends from the from the from the school uh, Guido van Hout from Holland. And he lives in Holland now, and we have worked together since. And he's my juggling partner. Like right now, I don't have a juggling partner, and it feels a bit sad. You know, it's like uh, being a single juggler, <laughs> and I think it's much more fun. It's much much more stress. It's stressful working with somebody else. You know, because it's like you don't give each other a break. You know, <laughs> you're always on the thing, and um, 
but I really enjoyed, uh, it's just a whole other world living in Italy and in Holland, you know, it's not so far away, but it's, it's really is in a whole other world. And um, so going back, winding back a bit, so when I was in Rome, from 90, for, I, I carried on teaching, teaching jugglers, and I had um, lots of classes, and then I started to teach some retreats after reading the Zen of Juggling. So I started combining what I've been learning with yoga, with physical theater, with clown and dance, and um, just experimenting. So we started off with like week long retreats where we'd cook for each other. And um, these have been going on for 20 years now. And I find them very, very important. They're very important moments for a lot of people that have come through these, through these, uh, these sessions, because it's, um, it's not just about the technique, you know, it's like, it's the effect on our whole body and our whole body when it's everything is activated and awake and open we start to really do some amazing stuff and uh start to open up and be a bit freer you know and uh and whereas people would have said to to me at the start ah oh, this guy is too technical like this you know i can relate to, to jugglers that that uh love their technique you know and whether they're aware of it or not, perhaps we're hiding behind the technique a little bit. And this is what, well, one of the many reasons I wrote this book, Pearls of Juggling as well, for self-taught jugglers to ease them into a bit more self-expression. Not that everybody has to perform, but to know that you can do something strange with your arms and it's already a thing. You know, it's not like it has to be a move. You know, as jugglers, we're very like, oh, is this a move or is this not a move? And I remember wanting to work with dancers and I couldn't work out what was dance or, and it's just fully showing up in your body. You know, it's just being in your body and being aware of what's going on and taking the time and breathing. And um, these are the things that you need somebody to help you with this. And, and it's better if someone's actually been a juggler as well, because otherwise they don't get it. I mean, you go to a clown master and they're brilliant. They, they, they get you into the, the, the clown zone and you're there and you're fully expressing yourself and people are there all laughing. And, um, but they're not, they don't care about juggling, the clown masters. You know, you start juggling and say, no, don't juggle. <laughs> you're like, what? I love juggling. It's like my life juggling. You don't want me to juggle. And this can create some crisis for, for jugglers, you know? They can think that juggling isn't really worth anything anymore, or even if they take like more of an acting approach, they see acting as being much more, has more status than jugglers, and then they start thinking, oh, well, I should do some juggling, then I should do, do some acting, and I'm not really a juggler anymore. Or the same thing with dancing, you know, or even music. And, um, but jugglers and juggling and circus arts, they have this uh, gray area, which is very interesting. You know, it's um, because it's not so defined by anybody. It has more expressive liberty somehow. This is what I find anyway. But it's lacking a, um, a clear way to get to an excellent, to get to excellence. You know, piano, if you play a piano, it's very clear. You do scales, you do your exercises. With juggling, there are people that have developed this sort of work, 
but they are like dotted around all over the place. There's no, um, but I think this is also really cool that there's no method. Um, This is what makes, I think the juggling community so vast and and creative at this point. I, from my point, I can totally agree uh, to what Rome was for you was, for example, Guadalajara. For me, I was doing my, my social service there and also rather dived into a circus family and some were juggling, some were dancing. So I think it also has to do that uh, when I came back to Germany after this time in Mexico, I felt juggling in Germany is so much more technical. It's about skills and putting it into numbers as well, rather maybe for how you experience juggling with in the context of juggling molecules and rather this technical approach, which is good for some things but for me my approach was rather it's it's about movement it's this community thing that's rather everybody brings something to the table and this was also what kind of like put the spark of inspiration uh into me yeah brilliant 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 yeah this is more or less the story and then after i finished the dimitri school i was very interested in performing you know they charged up with performing and i created three or four different shows. Um, Italy is a little bit, it's a little bit frustrating for, for, for performing. There's a lot of bureaucracy behind it and you have to really want to travel about all over the place. And I wanted to just settle a bit, you know, I didn't want to keep traveling all around the place. So it, it's almost, almost, um, if you don't want to travel around, then you almost can't perform. You know, it's it's a tricky one, this one. So, and um, so that, then I really, I found, um, let's say my expressive outlet more through teaching then. And um, also with teaching yoga for children, funnily enough. You know, because, yeah, 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 because well, the, the, the method that I studied with Rainbow Kids Yoga was like a catalyst for me, you know, it was like, it was from the yoga part of things, it was from my clown circus things, and it really allowed me to be myself, and I'm just wild with the kids, you know, I, you have to be like the king of the jungle with, with children, it's not like all Om Shanti and be all sit quiet, and you know, that that's what school's all about, it's all about making people obey you know it's more about getting people engaged and then you take them to listen to this silence and they're like listening to the silence you know and it actually becomes something for them rather than not doing something and this is uh this is where it's it's just inspiring people you know and my my last um performance which is this poster behind anyway it's uh, what goes up must come down i worked on this uh with my wife um, funny enough, she's she is she's um she's an independent filmmaker, and uh, she directed it, and we worked on it on it together. And we took this book, uh, Taoist book by uh, Chang Tzu, and um, he's like uh, it's full of parodies, paradoxes rather, and uh, and, f- and funny stories, you know. <clears throat> and so we took some of these funny stories and we made a whole show with it because juggling in the end is a paradox, you know. It's it and it is what goes up comes down, you know, and it is. Um, so that's a really beautiful show. I really love this. We did it ten times um, in Italian, and uh, at one point I would like to 
do this show again. But like to have at least a few lined up, you know, just to do one or two. It's it's like a month and a half work to get into this show. You know, I really on this on this character, he's ninety nine years old, and um, yeah, he's had his whole life, and he and uh, and he's get given he's given some potion, like a magic potion, and he drinks it, and it makes them all young again. You know, and uh, well, this is a bit of the, this is like a tiny bit of the story. You know, it's it's um, but it's what happens to him, what it allows him to juggle, and how he uses it as a metaphor for for life and death, which is the other what goes up must come down. No? It's all these opposites all the time. So yeah, it's there. This show is there. <laughs> you know, just needs like a, a month and a half to get into it, and then and then it's it's out there again. So yeah, this is this is lots of things I, I'm on about now. Well, let, well, let's hope that very soon we can perform out there again because currently I think the whole culture scene has gone on on either Zoom or into like a creative quarantine and rather developing things forward. That's what at least like the last few few months actually has has been for me to experiment a bit like what is possible in the digital space and I think there are some global issues that are actually fun that you can have like a, a fun interactive session with people from all over the world just like that and jump in but I, I think as you also mentioned the retreats you're creating it's something different if you cook together if you if you kind of like spend a whole week together something very unique happens I think digitalization is not yet there that it could actually translate and transcend into um, into these spaces I liked a lot what you uh, said about uh, like the learning that you had at the School of Dimitri. We actually also performed there back in, I think, 2014. And it's also in a way a very special place because it's up there in the mountains. And it's also a bit like maybe like in between the solitude of the, the Swiss mountains, also like in harmony with nature, the different cultures coming together. Um, and right now you're also conducting these kind of special retreats. Do you think that the time at, at the School of Dimitri also created as well this style of teaching for you that it's kind of this uh, well, group bonding moment that the people really not just come for the class, but it's a holistic experience that you kind of be in one place for six days and really transform. Yeah, sure. Um, I've had experiences of teaching 10-day retreats, week retreats, and I've been to lots of like week-long seminars and things. And a three-year workshop let's say it's a different thing you know it's really it's really very intense and um there, there was a class above us that they bonded much quicker than than we apparently but then after a year they couldn't like handle being with each other they had lots of conflicts in their class you know they tried to they tried to sort them all out but you know it's it's um so in my class, it was people were very easy about coming into contact with each other, you know, to avoid this sort of thing happening. I have a feeling that to really get to know somebody, you need to be meet them at least two other contexts. So if you just see the people just in their better in their hometown, you know, if you see someone in our hometown, then you really feel that you you get the three dimensional uh, full person. So. You know, after a while, in, in this school, in this isolated place, it, it, I was missing. I was missing this aspect of the people. You know, I'm inspired a little bit more as well by yoga seminars as well. You know, like really transformative 
where you take the art and then you transform it, you feel what it's doing to you, and then you allow this to happen. And then this also helps your artistic process more. You know, you need courage and you need to want to do this sort of thing. You know, in, in the Dimitri school, it's not the scope of the school is not to um, do transcendent experiences, let's say, you know, it's, uh, for me, somehow, sometimes it was a bit of a pity, <laughs> you know, because it's like you take things to a point where you could transcend, but then you don't, you know, so it's like always boiling over. But uh, the emphasis there was always on diving into the art, dive into the art, dive into the art, dive into the art. the same so it's very dimitri school is very it's the craftsmanship behind behind physical theater let's say and it's very important they put a lot of emphasis on this craftsmanship because you are learning a craft there like someone who makes boots leather boots you know it's like you need to know all the things you need to know the paradox is that we are our own instrument and this creates some um mental difficulty you know because we're it's hard to have the distance and be in the thing at the same time you know it's really that that is the most challenging part of the, of the work definitely but i i use i use a lot of what i learned in the dimitri school in my retreats and i use a lot of things that i've experimented on my own and i i allow myself the luxury of um I'm just seeing where things go. I mean, I have my program and just, I, I am constantly amazed with new things that come up all the time. It's just because if you follow something, you follow something, it turns into something else. It always turns into something else. And um, also, you know, the mood of the group. What's the mood of the group? Are the groups like this today, is it? <laughs> you know, often, you know, it's like in this circus school I'm working in Rome, um, Materia Viva. They're, they're perhaps they're in the last two months and they're working on their performance. I come in and just do my juggling class with them, my creative juggling class with them. I come in and they're like, this is a really heavy atmosphere, you know? And I'm like, oh my goodness. So then my job is then to pick everybody up, you know? And I, I managed to do this. I pick everybody up. And then at the end, everybody's like in a whole other mood than they were before. But it's only because I recognize what's going on. You know, I don't come and say, ah, and start shouting them and saying, ah, what's going on here? No, I don't. That's not the right way, you know. You have to have to engage people, get them engaged. Uh, you can't blame people, you know, for being like in a dark mood. I don't know, or being worried. You just have to get them out of it. I think that's our role as as trainers, you know, snap people out of there, get them to feel how they are, and perhaps even exchange. You, you can do a lot with with how people are actually feeling in this moment, you know. You can juggle. How you feel in this moment how do you feel i feel like this and you juggle it out you know you give it uh, you see it somehow some and this is for some people this is really eye-opening part of the workshops i teach you know it's like ah so i can actually train how i feel and not like force myself 
you know, and because when we force ourselves to train, it rarely comes out good, you know, it comes out a bit rigid or it's a bit limited somehow, but we, you need, we need to warm ourselves up into it, you know, warm up ourselves mentally as well as, as physically and some music or something. And we need to trick ourselves to get into this state, you know, the more, fun, more of a fun state, I would say. So, so yeah, my earlier retreats, uh, workshops, um, training sessions, whatever you want to call them, they were a huge melting pot, lots of different things. And um, in, in the last few years, they're much more uh, refined somehow. You know, it's like I have a whole series of things that I can just choose from, see where people are at. And uh, some somehow, and sometimes we don't do any end performance at all now, but uh, often we do. And we always just like arrive, try and arrive at it. You know, perhaps there's like one afternoon or one whole day that people are like really rehearsing their stuff, you know. But I try and get it so it's pleasurable. And sometimes for some people it's a bit intense. Um, but it's a motivating thing, you know. It's like I'm very aware that in a teaching setting, especially with jugglers, there are things that on my own I find it very hard to do. So I, I know there are some things that that it's it's much easier to do in a group setting. So I try and try and give more emphasis to these sort of things, the group collaborations. Perhaps you work on your own thing, but you are anyway inspired by other things which are going on. You know, and it takes just takes that the effort out of it. But creating a new act is hard work. You know, it's really hard work, and it's better if you're inspired to do it. It always comes out better <laughs> yeah and so like for for the retreats you have a rough schedule but then it's more about like uh, reading what the group needs and from there on adjust to to the individual needs and i i think it's in a group setting it's always that something more like this some of the soul parts if you put them together in this, this group and you're good at like kind of mixing these ingredients together you really feel that something something new is emerging in a way out of out of it naturally that's what i found so interesting working in in, in group contexts yeah yeah we are there is a there is quite a defined structure you know we have like a we have a, like a yoga or tai chi like a walk or tai chi before breakfast and then we do some more body work and then there's a training we always have like an hour of training where everybody works on their own thing like uh, everybody chooses a uh, music to put on every day and um And then nobody, there's no talking. It's just really work out how to train. What do you want to learn? And perhaps the first day is you need to calibrate what you're doing. But after this, this one hour becomes really important for everybody. And, um, and we do a lot of stretching. And the afternoon is always more creative work. So more movement, more essential acting. You know, it's like there are some things that we... We don't need to become actors as jugglers, but we need to know how to make the right choices. Otherwise, we uh, end up to be really bad actors, and it's just a bit painful, you know. It's better to not do it somehow, <laughs> you know. And this is what I write said in the book as well, you know. It's it's enough already to be Fabian the juggler, you know, not Fabian who, I don't know, does other things. It's like, this moment, I'm the juggler. So then it means something to you, you know, already. And this could be easier for people 
to already get into out, out of their shyness. So, so, so yeah, going to what I was saying earlier, now I'm still pretty shy in some situations, but I'm busting through it. You know, I'm busting through it. And I think the more we concentrate on, let's say, what we bring to the world, what my message is for the world, what I'm up to, the less it, it's, I'm concerned with myself. You know, it's like we're shy when we're really caught up with ourselves, I think. Um, because we make the shift. If we make the shift from taking to giving, you know, we're, we're as a society, generally, we are obsessed by taking um, and not even in a good way, you know, we're not like, we don't really honour the other person we take from them, you know, it's not like, we're not stealing from anybody, but we're not like so grateful, you know, and, um, but we always want things from other people, oh, what's this person going to give me, what's this other person good, but when we concentrate more on just giving to other people, then it changes everything, because we're not worried anymore and thing uh, 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 and things come to us anyway you know it's not like i have to weigh all my options all the time the bhagavad gita no and lots of other let's say sacred texts they, they all talk about this you know doing things without expecting the return without expecting the fruits of our labors and this you know is funny it's, it doesn't quite work out you know it's like of course I want to get paid for doing this or what this would, but you don't necessarily know where it's going to come from when you're giving, you know, and, um, but this is a whole other area. I don't know if we want to go, go into this right now or, or later. Or what. It's, an, it's an interesting part that um, when you talked about the stage personality and as well before this shift is also something that I found interesting. I'm, Uh, consider myself as well as a clown, but sometimes we're rather technically uh, juggling. And for you, is this like, is this the same, Anthony, or is your uh, your stage personality a, uh, a a different person? Is this something like you can dive into, you can sh shift towards, or is this like an, an on of how do you transcend into like the performance mood? Because it's like a different one being in a training mood. And then uh, like, I think we all have, have different roles. Yeah, right. Okay. So what we learned at the Dimitri school is that every character has a solid nucleus when we find this nucleus. And, um, that's a blessing, you know, when we find this nucleus, it's like, that's, that's it. Because then whatever's coming at you, you, you know how to react in this character. You're no longer yourself in, in all effect. You know? So this happens with some of the characters I do. And some of the characters, you know, they just need more time. You know, they need, 30 performances before they're, you're really in there and you know how this person reacts. Um, it's not even really knowing, you know, you just, you just, you, you, you are, you have all these circles around your character, you know, it's like you have your intimate circle, like the things that are going on in this, in this character's lives, then you've got, and, and the people, and then you've got more and more 
circles around this character. And the more you know all of these circles, what's going on, the more you, you react exactly in character. Um, this is this this is the the essential work of an actor in the end, you know. And this goes parallel though with mood work, you know, working with um, with emotions, working with the, the four basic ones, you know, which is fear, joy, sadness, and anger. You know? And they, they there are people that say that all of the emotions there all somehow a bit of a mixture of all of these. But on stage, anyway, we want to make things very clear, very clear for the audience. Um, so the emotional work is not about our own lives. It's just like it has an edge, you know, angry. When you're angry, you have this energy, you know, and you just like want to smash something. Or, and uh, when you're sad, you know, you're like a little bit more like it happens. Yeah, it happens in another way, you know. And um, so I think actually, even when I'm teaching, I have another role, you know, another character. But it's not really a character, you know, it's like a, it's just trying to fill people with enthusiasm. That's my uh, my goal, you know, charge people up with, uh, with like a, yeah, we can do this. This is the, this is the thing. So, yeah, I, I remember years ago, Neil, Neil, Niels Paul, you know, the guy that made the, these juggling hats. He made all these juggling hats. And I remember going to one of his hat workshops and it was a show, you know. His workshop was a show. It was like, uh, it was like a street show. It was like, uh, you want to see another trick? You want to see another trick? You want to see another trick? Yeah! <laughs> and this has always stayed with me. This is like years and years ago. And I thought, brilliant, you know. It's like, you, we could, you could do anything like as, as if it was a show. It doesn't have to be like so you can regulate you know with who you've got in front of you but it can be always more fun you know it can always be more fun this is opening up another chapter now but uh well it's it's been there all all the time really yeah but in the last two years i've um i've held playfulness in more regard in my um in my life and in my in what i have to give to the world and um, I even created um, a festival last year, a three-day festival on playfulness. So just people working with playfulness. And it's amazing. You know, it's a whole other parallel world of people very similar to arts. It's like arts are sister brothers of playfulness, you know, in a certain way. Um, and also kindness, you know, kindness is also very like playfulness, you know, doing things for other people and... Uh, and um, when you start diving into this, then you start to see really how literally everything could be better if we try and make it more engaging and more fun for other people, you know, and seeing the other person in front of us who's there and, um, and, and trying to perpetuate this thing which is happening between us. You know, it's not, you, you know, like um, Fabian, the, the, our favourite game nowadays as a society is probably the game of um who's right <laughs> you know it's like we play this dumb game you know it's like who's right and it's like we could be both right you know this is the thing that uh it, our brains don't like this so much but sure that we can have millions there's so many different points of view you know and that's all they are in the end is points of view you know this 
what are absolutes, you know, absolutes. I think it relates to, to what you mentioned before with giving and taking and the playfulness and kind kindnesses as well that if we show up and we kind of invite others to play, we can totally create a different culture in this kind of offering, this kind of let's let's play and let's, let's not ask like who's right, who's wrong. Let's stop this game in a way and rather play a game where it's not so much about competition, but rather collaboration, which then relates again to... Uh, Who I think we both conceive as or perceive juggling as as a as an invitation to uh, to play to play with the errors to play with yeah being human. Yeah, no, no, absolutely, absolutely. The jug jugglers and the juggling community is very playful, generally, especially when we when we get together. There's this aspect that um, started to uh, just got me thinking. You know, it's like I was thinking. I met a lot of jugglers and they didn't seem very playful at all to me. <clears throat> and I was thinking, hey, you know, jugglers, they should be like the most playful people around. What's happening here, you know? And it's like, there's many reasons behind that, eh? but there's this thing about being professional somehow. You know, when we get put our professional hat on, we um, lose the, we become very serious all of a sudden. And it's, uh, it's a strange thing, eh? So this really got me thinking about all sorts of, um, yeah, there's this whole of work and play, you know, they don't have to be separate things, they can actually be fused together. Uh, play doesn't have to be the thing that you do at the end of a long, hard, hard day of work. And that, um, then we have uh, Stuart Brown, which did a lot of work in his book, uh, Play, he did a lot of work on, um, people's play histories. So what we did as children when we were very young is quite indicative of what um, would be satisfying for us as adults. Yeah. So it's asking these questions, finding out what was it we really liked to do as kids and puts us like in, in the place where we should be as adults, you know, far too many people are in their wrong jobs, basically, you know, They hate their jobs. They do it just because they feel they have to, you know? I mean, there are situations, of course, that are, that are, that are tragic, you know, and uh, and devastating. And uh, But uh, a lot of the time, yeah, we're, we're scared of, of, of really following what, what it is we want to do because we don't think we're going to be able to do it, you know? And, uh, so this is all this is all a bit tricky, you know, because we're play to to be in a state of play or or flow or zone, we have to accept the challenge a little bit. We have to um, take risks, you know, whether it's emotional risks or whether it's just learning something we've never did before or Well, yeah, it could also be doing something that's potentially a little bit dangerous, like climbing a tree. I don't know. <laughs> no, but all of these things, they get us out of, uh, or even, you know, even like something else is at risk is like giving someone a compliment. You know? Hey, you look great today. You know? <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah, so always risking. And actually in this quarantine time, I found 
what saved me partially is trying to do at least one thing a day that was scary to, for me, you know, somehow, you know, which was challenging. Like already this, already this uh, conversation with you, you know, this, this is for me, it's already my challenge for the day, let's say, <laughs> you know, because it's getting out. I don't know what I'm going to say. I don't know what you're going to say really. And um, so it's just, it's just uh, opening, opening this space. And um, so, so what, what can we do to help others play more? This is a question, right? We can already allow um, to, to create a safe space. You know, this might sound paradox. Uh, this might sound like a paradox because well, before I was saying we need to take risks, but to be able to take risks, we need to feel safe. So we, we need to, we can feel safe by um, getting everybody to know each other, their names, for example, um, doing some silly moves, some dancing, having a little laugh. Uh, and this already uh, starts to create a safe environment. And if I take care of people, looking out for everybody, is everybody okay? Then we can we can start to play and uh, and and start offering invitations. You know, to to be able to play, I need to offer you an invitation. And an invitation isn't. Uh, I'm not saying you have to do it. Otherwise, it's not an invitation anymore. You know. So, this is. Uh, Subtle, subtle ground, eh? But I need to be able to invite you, and not. Um, and then we start to loosen up a little bit. So this, we if if we bring this in, in let's say in business already, you know, where it's all very competitive, and it's all very on like have tos, and you've got your deadlines, and you've got to do this. If there was already like a little bit more safe area where people would fail, you know, it's okay to fail, you know, or it's. Uh, or just like, how are you today? No, you don't look so good. Perhaps you need to have a walk and come back in in a while. Just like tiny little things like this, just sparks up a whole more uh, camaraderie and good feeling. And then you want to really, you want your your company or your project project to see succeed. You know, you're not there looking at other people thinking, ah, oh, this one here's after my job or whatever. I don't, I don't know. You know, I don't really know what how goes on goes on there. I'm just, I could just imagine. But um, so yeah, we're, we're, we're making the shift and this is an important shift then from a uh, control mindset, you know? And when things fall apart, when they're, what happens is we put an even more controlled mindset or when they don't work an even more controlled mindset and even more and even more and even more. But perhaps there's another way, perhaps there's another way which isn't just like chaos, it's about giving people trust a little bit, you know, I trust you, you could do this, you know, and, uh, and, uh, yeah, great, you did a great job, you know, and, uh, but this is all tricky, you know, we're all very scared that people are taking us for granted or, or not really doing their thing, or not really working, and, but, uh, I think there's a lot to explore here with a playful mindset, and a trusting mindset and also allowing people to be themselves a little bit more yeah <laughs> well from my experience in the business context it's the, the main challenge is how to wrap it because i think this playful self or this playful inner child we all have it and it's just like 
some people have lost their access even a bit more and some people are more connected to it. And so, as you said, it's about creating this safe space, but this safe space might look for a group of persons all a bit different. So how can you kind of like pick them up at the right point and then bring them into this, this zone in a way uh, and then, then open them up? Because right now in the business context, there's a lot talking about this uh, notation of gamification. But same like gamification, sometimes it's about collecting some uh, some points, be like that your daily business work is like a jump and run game. And then at the end of the day, you have uh, collected a few more diamonds. But I think playfulness and gamification are still uh, as well two different concepts because the playfulness is, in a way, I would say it's the unconditional one. Gamification is kind of towards the goal and playfulness, it's, it's like for the sake of playing, which is... Uh, which is so good and so natural because kids, why are kids so perfect learner? And and like within one year, they know how to walk and then they learn a mother tongue. And afterwards, like we're, if you look at like the learning curve, I think like within their first three years, it's it's amazing. And why? Because they explore and they do all the errors. So connecting to uh, to this one would be super important, but it's, yeah, it's easier to talk about it and really uh, get into it because sometimes, uh, there are the pace to build. There is this professional, whatever mindset it is, and to uh, to get out of it. Uh, do you have any like hints? How, like you said, uh, during the quarantine time, you were current, or like you were continuously putting some some risk into your life, some some challenges to uh, to accomplish. What could be other ways to uh, to stay in this playful mood? It's observing. Observing is number one connecting to with what we're seeing, you know, really connecting to what we're seeing, taking time to look at things, you know, look at how trees, they move a little bit, the wind, how, how animals interact with each other, how children, how children move, how they play, how they call, how they sing. Um, so really connecting to the observing and observe other people. You know, we have, this thing um, called an anchor bias, which means that we make our um, opinions on people and situations very quickly. And if we're not aware of this, this sticks, even if it seems to be the opposite in the end, you know, this anchor bias. And um, if we're aware of this, then, uh, then um, we, can, uh, we can do something about it. You know? in, um, in the medical profession, they are very aware of this anchor bias. And they have a whole protocol which allows them to reevaluate all the time on, on patients. Otherwise, they might say this guy's got, got a stomach ache and he's actually got appendicitis, let's say. You know? But if I'm convinced he's got a stomach ache, then perhaps I'm not going to do certain tests. You know? and, uh, but, and this is, this is pretty evident in, in the medical world, but this happens all the time on a, on a, on a personal level. So just catch ourselves making firm affirmations about what a person is before we really know, you know, I might, I'll, I'll just catch yourself. Oh, I'm making a judgment about this person. Do I know this person? And if, if you're in a safe situation, if it's in a job or whatever, perhaps you can just small talk, you know, like, Hey, how are you? How's it going? <laughs> and then we're already, this already breaks the ice into the unknown, this thing here. And it's already a bit scary. You know, asking people, we don't know. Hey, how are you? <laughs> well, how's your day been? You know, and people always respond. You know? Some people maybe they're like, "Ooh, what does this guy want from me?" You know, but if you're really coming for a genuine 
place of curiosity and uh, you can laugh, you know, and say, I don't know, you make it up. <laughs> but um, so, and, and I would say that the other thing we could do to invite more playfulness into our lives is really um, being, keep being aware of uh, invitations into play. So we're, there's not only just playfulness going around all around us and we don't see it at all. There's also a lot of people that want to play with us that we label as um, annoyances, as annoying. You know, let's check, take a three-year-old kid. You're doing something important. And this kid's, come on, come on, he's pulling you something. Come on, come on, come on. What do you do? You push him away? Or you say, okay, I'm going to do this later. I don't know how you do. You cut off your thoughts on this thing. And then you realize that all he wants to do actually is play with you. You know, he doesn't want anything. You know, we think this guy, he wants something. He wants to eat. He wants to go to the bathroom. I don't know. He just wants to play. You know, what's the natural thing, right? Just yeah, wants to, to interact. He wants to interact. And some people say he's looking for attention, but that's a rather. That's, it's, of course, it's that this is what's happening, but he's not just looking for attention, he's looking for the exchange. For the exchange, like he wants to give you as much as he wants to take from you, you know. And, um, but this also, you know, this also happens with our partners, you know. <laughs> you know, it's difficult, it's different, you know. It's like they don't really want to play, but they want an exchange, you know. And actually, they like to play as well, you know, they like to have fun uh, joke or something you know? and uh and this is this is i think true with everything you know and i would even go as far as to say it gets a bit it gets perverted at a certain point you know when when we don't give into this play i mean people their their invitations to play don't seem at all like play anymore you know it might get a bit violent and they might start breaking things or getting into angry tempers, or getting very critic, criticism, get very critic, um, critical, you know. But it, I think also anyway, it, it it's not too late to undo something about this. But we really need the clarity to to work out what's going on. You see, and also my, myself, eh? I need to play. I do need to play. You know. So it's uh, it's a it's a bonus for me, you know, it's like, I've got this person who's teaching me how to play for their children or animals. They're going to teach me how to play. They're going to teach me how to get back into playfulness. You know, it's, uh, this is it, you know, and, and why have we lost it as adults? There's all sorts of reasons why we've lost it as adults, but that's irrelevant. You know, we can gain a lot of it back. And I, I think we could really do a lot of good for the world. If, if we could gain, gain a lot of this back. Um, it doesn't mean doesn't mean we have to be frivolous, you know. There's a way that um, there's a there, there's a place where seriousness and playfulness can meet, you know. And this is perhaps this is perhaps like an elevated adult, you know. It's like when serious and playfulness meet, and sometimes you become a bit more playful, sometimes you become a bit more serious, but not rigid serious, you know, and not just like. Clowning around all yeah. the time, you know. Yeah, it's this balancing. I I totally agree that we have to find this balance, not just being you know, the professional one and and never able to laugh about about anything. And on the other hand, as well, like taking as much uh, 
playfulness as much of this giving and, and accepting this invitation to play. So yeah, that's a that's a major takeaway that first of all, like remember to to observe the beauty around us and the beauty of uh, of these relations, the, the beauty of these interactions, these encounters. And I have two small kids, so it's it's so good to see them. It's like uh uh yeah a show a show every morning how they how they meet how they mingle how they sometimes argue but then uh, sometimes seek for attention but in the end it's it's rather this this play and also yeah uh when you said this like they always want to play and sometimes you are with this uh busy business head and you have to finish this and then he, he comes and you're like oh, yes no yes no just yeah uh, the the basic improv rule is yes and and you you go for it because it will actually spark your Uh, your imagination so much more in your book in uh, in the very beginning of the pearls of juggling you're also mentioning the benefits of juggling and i went when i was reading through them from boosting your confidence opening your mind learning through errors it's actually all the in a way the soft skills but all like the the attitude that startups should have so i think there is a certain interrelationship between juggling as not just as a metaphor but also as a way to uh, to make better do you do you agree with that and uh, do you also sometimes are you also sometimes able to build this bridge towards business towards life okay so um juggling definitely teaches us a lot of soft skills and it teaches us also uh, about how we learn you know it teaches a lot of learning how to learn this is very important to know how we learn. You know, how do we learn? Do we learn by doing something again and again and again, having a break and then coming back to it again, back to it? As jugglers, we know that we work, we work, we leave it to one side, we come back the next day and it's working already better. You know, it's our brain elaborates things even when we're not doing them anymore. Actually, it does it better when we give the right pauses to things. You know, we need this, this um, space to integrate. And also, if we do a relaxation after juggling or we just sit still and meditate and feel all the physical sensations moving about, we give even more possibility for this data to settle and find its right place. I would say right now I, I, um, I, I, could, I help people more with juggling in their life. For some reason... I've not really got into the business world yet with teaching them. You know, it's like I have to find the right context because it's just I'm going to go in and teach you juggling today. It's not it's not the right thing, you know. It's not uh, – that happens as well, eh? But uh, this book here, I don't know if you know it, Lessons from the Art of Juggling, this one here. No, it should be on my bookshelf soon. Yeah, Michael J. Gelb. He does a lot of work with uh, with businesses, with uh, corporations, inspiration, and Tony Bazan. I mean, this book is amazing. You know, Tony Bazan, he's the guy that invented mind maps. You know, this is just like, and they wrote a book about juggling. You know, it's just like, whoa. And it really, it, it's it, this is it. You know, it's like, they started off here. I don't think they do anything with juggling at all anymore, you know, but it's, it's, uh, it's, it's a skill to learn. What I enjoy when I'm teaching people to juggle, even just with one ball to start with, you know, just playing around with one ball is really the reaction that I have. 
the immediate first reaction and to see it like brutally see it that I've said to myself no I can't do this this isn't for me you know you see this it's it's like horror horrific you know if you I mean you do it all with playfulness and lightness but if you actually see this aspect of yourself which isn't willing to give something a try because it's already decided that he doesn't want to be embarrassed in front of others and this is why it's so important to create a safe environment that's friendly you know it's like this like uh Oh, up in the air, arms, yeah, you know, get a lot of this going, you know, physically opening, opening, yeah, this thing, this helps enormously, you know, yeah, and then realising that to learn something, you, have, you go through it from failure, you know, things are dropping, things are dropping, and the, in a group setting, you just raise so much energy and enthusiasm and excitement, you know, I have to dose it a little bit, because there's always people that learn it quicker than others, you know, and then you partner them up, you know, I don't know how this works with the coronavirus now, you know. <laughs> These things don't work so well partnering up, but this part of this moment will pass, you know. There's always other ways of doing things. If we have a creative mind, there's always ways of doing doing things, you know. Always go we go back, what do we need? You know, and it's the same thing, you know, when we talk about business, what are we talking about? Are we talking about um what is our place in the world? Are we talking about what can I do for others? Or am I just talking about making money? You know, it's a tricky one, you know, but then like, what is it that I really need? You know, and this is all uh, the whole work with uh, Michael Rosenberg, you know, on the nonviolent communication, where the invitation is always, what is my need? And perhaps there's another way of meeting this need that isn't this way, you know? And and these are interesting questions, you know, that gets out of... Uh, that gets out of doing things in a certain way, especially business now. It's like with this coronavirus thing, you can't do things as you've always done them. It's not, it's not going to work, you know? I mean, the first thing, what do you do? Build a, a mask-making factory. I mean, that's like the first most obvious thing, but it doesn't have to be this, you know? That's like a, a commercial, filling a commercial need. Well, there's lots of needs there's needs everywhere. We're all in desperate need, you know, everybody's lost without, without like a real meaning in their lives, scared to death. But there's this other thing with a playful mindset. We have to, we can't be in a fearful mindset. Otherwise it doesn't work. You know, if we're in fear, we're not. So this again, creating a safe space for people, but uh, an encouraging space, you know, Hopefully, the coronavirus will also create a new environment where people rather were able to zoom in a bit, like rather maybe be able to observe again about the beauty that they have at their home, but also the beauty of not having to like drive two hours to work every day. For sure, there is some, some fear, but I think it's all about and maybe also the artist's duty to transform this fear into a uh, well, into something rather engaging, into something rather see uh, see the new opportunities coming in, and I totally agree that uh, we should not we should not go back to normal, but rather go forward to to a new normal. And if people have the chance, like to experience two months or two and a half, three months, a different reality, you might see, hey, let's uh, let's leave the stuff that we didn't like behind and take some of the new maybe digital tools, but rather get get human again. It's beyond all like the economic crisis that we might be into. It's a big chance of a human re-evaluation. What, what does it mean to, uh, to be together, to play together and also rather 
foster a global community despite all of these like right now the borders are opening up again but it was a funny thing that like digitally we're more connected than ever while all the borders are closed to an extent that we would have never expected again and well for, for me what worked for me was rather seeing the the positive things happening not being too much uh focused on on just the news that are rather trying to to have us in the fearful mindset and like keeping us watching but rather engaging us connecting with connecting with people and in your book you also mentioned rather from performance point of view this annotation of stopping or not stopping like a bit like the the power of a pause and i think that if we zoom out a bit and like put this power of this pause that corona put on the world it might be also like a a big big chance oh no i absolutely agree um There, who there? There are people that will that uh, will definitely have used their time wisely here, definitely. And for everybody, it's eye-opened something. You know, even if I, I, this is my thoughts, is this? Uh, I mean, we've had all sorts of different thoughts come to us in this time. You know, but one of the thoughts that came to me is that we can't eat money. You know. It's like, it's actually somehow worthless as well in some situations. So we need a plan B as well. Definitely need a plan B. We have we have this thing where we think that uh, if we only had enough money, all our problems would be solved. You know? This is a big question. And this goes, um, this question infiltrates down to everything. You know, it's like, if only there wasn't so much carbon dioxide in the atmosphere there would be no global warming you know and it's um never really asking what is behind all of this you see so the invitation is always to ask what's going on um and then there's this other factor you know that we're all so heavily polarized And this is, for me, this is where playfulness comes in big time because it can help us out of this polarized thing. You know, take things a bit lightly. I mean, at one point on my Facebook feed, I could see all these things like people complaining about people being offended so easily. I mean, I wasn't getting this thing coming to me, but I could, like, from other people, I was getting this idea that were lots of people were getting offended easily, you know? So why why do we get offended easily? What What is going on there? What's happening, you know? Is it really that people are getting offended easily or is it they're reacting in a way that we weren't, uh, or is it that we are reacting to the way they're reacting? You know, I, I don't know, you know, it's, um, people are offending. Basically, we don't know how to communicate, okay? This sounds funny after this um, bit of a blurb here, but if I really communicate and say like, I feel that this is like this, uh, but we generally say things in terms of absolutes. And if I say an absolute, like, Oh, everybody should play. You know, people get, they get their backs what? up and say, no, well, no, we shouldn't play. Play is just for children. If we all played, there were no getting any work done. And, uh, you know, but I'm not saying this, you know, for example, I'm not saying everybody should play. Like uh, if we adopted a slightly more playful mindset, I feel that uh, we could have more human interactions between people. You know, now I say this in this way already, then you're not going to have this strong... Um, um, counter-attack let's say right? so we, we, we need to be able to be able to express ourselves in a, in a soft way otherwise we're going to get hard attacks 
and uh and for sure there's however there's oh anyway i'm blurbly i'll blow you on now let's let's move on uh <laughs> well i like it that like we both like communicate in a soft way but also in a in a clear manner and maybe sometimes if we put it too soft it also gets a bit blurry and then like uh the message that we wanted to make the point that we want to make it's too blurry and then like the the receiver is also kind of like not um not getting it maybe ah sure ah no no sure 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 no i understand what you mean no it just has to be from my point of view like this is how i feel about it cool well we talked already a little bit about this playfulness and and flow in a book you're describing flow as well as something like going beyond limits, being self-exploratory and also you uh, you asked Stefan Singh who was putting it as like a state of almost being being meditating despite the fact that, uh, well, juggling is apparent useless. Um, so tell us a little bit how you get into your personal juggling flow. Are there any routines? You talked about the warm-ups. How do you get into maybe the flow of juggling, but also the flow in your life when you're most creative, when you're inspired? Well, I start, I start off getting into my body, reaching up to the air, stretching, feeling my body, opening up my, opening up my whole chest area. You know, this is all a bit gluey. It's always stuck together sometimes. This bit, you know. So like moving, get some music on, playing around maybe one, one ball. And, um, and, Ideally, um, I mean, there's so many different ways of training and getting into this, but I like the, the idea of starting off with one throw, playing around with all the different variations of it, adding a second and a third prop maybe, and, um, and, and taking it as themes. You know? I did a lot of training where I would go from this to this to this to this to this to this to this. Yeah, I don't really train in that way anymore, really. I, I zap quite a lot. I try not to do too much zapping, you know, because then it's just like your brain buzzing around. But try and do what I'm interested. Ah, and you remember trick the wanted to try. Ah, I want to do this. Ah, oh, this is cool. Because if I get, if I, I found that if I write a whole list of things I want to do, it just gets longer and longer. And then I end up not having enough time to train all the things, you know. So... It's a, it's a tricky bunch, this thing. So then I'm not in a flow at all if I just have a list of things I have to do, basically. No. So, um, so yeah, stopping every now and again, feeling what my body wants to do. Music helps me enormously to get into the flow, definitely. Definitely. And, um, you know, I'm, I, I'm interested in this for a long time now, but I still get caught out. No, I still definitely get caught out and find myself stuck in serious mindset, let's say, like this. Um, I often use this. I had a chat with this guy, Benny Feibich, once, and he, he came up with this idea of a serious mountain. You know, we're surrounded by a mount, the mountain of seriousness, which is reflected back to us all the time. So it's not really our fault, you know, but we contribute to it as well, and it comes back to us. And we've been living in this thing for a long time. But um, so there's this very interesting idea about flow, which um, to get into it, we need to push our limits that tiny bit. That's not too much, you know, like set little challenges for ourselves. You know? 
and as jugglers, we're we're used to setting challenges to ourselves. And they can't be too difficult, otherwise we don't get them. Have to be the right size. And um, then I was listening to something a while back, and uh, they even mentioned even like trying to be kind for like, like I don't know how long, but trying to do kindness acts is already enough to get into a flow because it's already a challenge for yourself. So then this all of a sudden opens up things in a really strange way. You know, it's like, whoa, a challenge doesn't have to be just something physically demanding. It could be um, something like asking someone for help almost even, you know? It's like, uh, we're not used to asking people for help at all, you know? Actually, we try not to do it because that means then we're indebted to somebody perhaps. And it's a strange one, you know, because I don't want to feel like I'm indebted to anybody. I try and, but it's, it's something which it moves about between people, you know, I'm not talking about like heavy debts, you know, I'm talking about someone's come around and, and, and fed my cats while I went away or something. You know? <laughs> so, so it's like this whole idea of play it on, you know, trusting that people will play it on. And I, I think this is a, this is a great way of getting in, in, into flow. You know? And personally, you know, I, always i always start the day going outside and then with my yoga practice you know this is all it's very essential to me to center myself center to find my own center you know and, and wake up and bring awareness into my whole body and my breathing and what just came to my mind talking about yoga but also flow uh, how would you say is the relationship between mindfulness and playfulness Do you see a relationship? Sure, sure, sure. Actually, on um, what we had this Jokozamente, um, which is this playful fest festival, when I was last year, we did it online this year. And the first panel session was dedicated to playfulness, kindness, and mindfulness. And there is a, there is a connection between them, you know. And mindfulness is also observing what we were saying earlier. It's, it's this, you know, interacting with things. And um, so we, we could see it as a as a step into playfulness. But when we're playful, we are mindful because we are interacting with what's really there in this moment. Almost jokingly, you know, I, I, I like the idea that playfulness somehow is a more fun way of doing mindfulness. <laughs> <laughs> I like this one. <laughs> But uh, we can all think about this a lot more, you know, and what I say now, I probably will consider it differently in a few weeks even, you know. But... Uh, Mindfulness could be thought of being as more like the first steps into something. Playfulness is being a bit more active. You know, it's then smiling at strangers. It's um, being, be, allowing yourself to be a bit quirky, a bit silly every now and again. Not to get attention from anybody, just because you feel like it, you know. And then even if you get attention from people, you know, if you smile, if you exchange the smiles and it's like, it can only be a good thing, you know? And uh, so, yeah, for sure, there, there, there's this thing, uh, playfulness, mindfulness, there's this thing about being full, being full, being total, you know? Uh, and then, like, we could say that, like, once we're in playful, then we can then listen and feel ourselves you know and we have lots of echoes going around our bodies that can be mental anchors you know and listen to them and feel feel what's alive in me right now 
And um, no, I've not really done any specific mindfulness work as such. I've done a lot of yoga, a lot of meditation, yoga meditation. And um, so, yeah, it's like sometimes, you know, we meditate, we practice, we wake up a lot of energy. You know, we need to express it somehow. You know, we need to express this joy. Otherwise, it sort of goes a little bit against us, you know. So, yeah, it could be just like a little dance. <laughs> a little dance you do before breakfast or I don't know. Not, um, it's really easy when you, when you have a, like a, a practice going on for years that as soon as you finish practicing, you like look at your phone or you immediately go and have breakfast, you know. I try and deliberately not to look at my phone until I've finished my practice in the morning. And I find the days I do look at my phone beforehand, they always go a bit weird, you know. It's, um, but this is a whole other topic. <laughs> whole other topic about like finding well flow in the daily life in a way and also establishing routines and rituals that will bring the best out of us without all of these distractions because on one hand side it's cool to have zoom and we can talk while you're in italy right yeah you're in italy and i'm, I'm here in germany but as well i, I feel as well it's uh, it's sometimes challenging but talking about digitalization To a certain point, you also said you did the, the Playfulness Festival online. How do you, well, play with digitalization for your work, for the courses that you do? Um, let's, let's dive a bit into this, like the chance of digitalization as well for the arts, for, for juggling what you do, but maybe as well the risk, the downside that we already uh, discovered a bit that like before your morning routine, you try to uh, put the cell phone in airplane mode far off where you could find it. Yeah, I am um, in this whole area, this whole um, time, um, I started, I had this idea of, um, of offering a chair yoga lesson, like really at the start of the quarantine. And I thought this is good because I can sit and watch people and I could do things that aren't too demanding and still feel good. Um, lots of people that, uh, that people, maybe are people at home that don't have yoga mats and the people older people could do it as well and after the first lesson i heard lots of like people's parents they joined in and uh so it was clear that i had to keep on this thing so i did uh, and i still i'm still doing this in the summer i'm just doing once a, once a week but i'm just offering these um online uh, chair yoga sessions on the facebook live so i'm offering these in, in the gifts so if people watch them and they enjoy them then they can make a donation this is the invitation i don't really i didn't really feel like making anything behind the paywall right in this moment i felt really bad like i had all my work cancelled and i just thought i just felt that there were lots of people in the same position you know and uh <clears throat> so so yeah so and and this has been good it's been good for me it's been good for the people that have been watching you know it's like really putting my creativity into this you know chair yoga is not just adaptations on your chair you know it's 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 really it's really you can really do deep stuff without doing it on your map <laughs> obviously because <laughs> it's like in you you know so um and um 
with juggling, I haven't done anything really. Like just before the quarantine period, I started to do some talks about um, on, on pills of juggling, about going beyond technique. And I think I did another thing about juggling and movement. And then uh, this helped me to then do live things on uh, later on because I'd already I'd already done them before the before the quarantine, <clears throat> and they were they were I was pretty nervous about doing these things, but I just dived into it. And then I started up my own podcast, uh, Playful Life, and um, interviewing people around the world from different aspects of playfulness, and uh, been very interesting been very interesting so i'm not really um i'm just having fun right now i don't know i'm not uh i'm trying to work exactly out how to uh be even more benefit to people but uh really i, I like to um i like to work with people physically you know? I like people to uh... yeah i think uh, online with the, the online festival worked out it worked there were people that came for the whole three days and in the end there was a community and uh, there were talks and there were panel sessions and there were play sessions so there are lots of activities you could do on zoom where you actually feel like you you're really playing you know you're really getting out of your and um the other day actually when we finished the crowdfund had a zoom juggle party and um I had, a, I had a workshop before at the beginning and then um yeah just there was just some music and everybody was doing their own thing juggling and that you know it's a pretty weird thing to do if you think about it but um it worked you know it was really uh i didn't have this tiredness thing that sometimes you have with zoom you know i felt really refreshed from it you know because i wasn't like here with the screen, you know, I was with myself playing and moving around. Yeah, it's important just to move around every now and again. And, and um, yeah, so, um, and I, I also have a, I have an online course about cultivating playfulness and that's also do donation based. And um, perhaps I'll set up some other things, you know, set up some other things for juggling and, uh, but these, everything takes so much time, you know. Hopefully, uh, we'll slowly start to get more of a, a crew together. Perhaps we can work out how to do things and uh, make it a bit, make it a bit easier. Like less work on uh, any one person. So yeah. <clears throat> so I, I don't know if I answered you about your gamification you said earlier, <coughs> but. Uh, yeah, it's if it, gamification comes from a place where you have to do it, it never works. No, it always has to be an invitation. You know, otherwise, yeah, people know they're being tricked somehow as well, I think. Or you do it and then you get feedback from people. How is this? What can we change? You make it, you make it, uh, can we make this more fun? You know, there's this concept of being finite in infinite games. And there's this book, James uh, Cars, I think it's called. And um, an infinite game is something that's open-ended, just carried on. A finite game is a game of football. 
as its rules it ends you know in the infinite game we would say can we use two footballs or three footballs <laughs> what if uh, we had to do it just like on one leg you know you start to, start to question things and then it brings in more just brings in more um, more fun and more participation from the from 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 the people you know and uh there's there's when my yo kids yoga tra tra training he'd say he would say if there's a kid he pulls your t-shirt turn it into a game say yeah guys let's all pull everybody's t-shirts you know and then this this just gesture just disappears you know it takes about what, two minutes and this guy's happy he played his game uh Will he do it again? Maybe. Maybe he doesn't. Maybe he's had his fall. Maybe he's had his like two minutes of uh, of of, uh, of star time, let's say like this. And uh, but if you don't even try these things, you'll just label him as a nuisance. This kid's a nuisance, you know. Oh uh, yeah. I don't know if you have any more. Have you any more questions? Well, I think we covered a lot from your from your history, overflow, the power of the pause. Maybe as a, as a last point, uh, I liked a lot your points that you're uh, differentiating in between seeing juggling, but also seeing things as a sport, as something competitive, rather seeing something as art, diving into this craft. And as well, putting this one on the meta level, sometimes we see business as well a lot as a rather competition. Um, and we talked a bit about about the concept of uh, of flow, but as well about the concept of of playfulness. But let's dive a little bit as a, as a final point into this one. What do you think for the future of education? Could this mean rather see education as well as an art and not as a competition? Okay, so um, one tiny thought before this um, is that um, we take Darwin's theory as being the survival of the fittest, the strongest, and not as the more adaptable, you see? And this, this slight nuance makes a huge difference because playfulness makes us more adaptable. And actually, this is one thought about why animals play in nature is because it makes their brains elastic and it makes them more adaptable to their environment. So whereas there are some casualties through play, like uh, small um, cubs going out into the open and then eaten by birds. The, the average is an evolution for the species because they are becoming more adaptable, you see? So, um, so play in schools, this is a question though, about play in schools. Yeah. Of course, I think uh, <laughs> think play, but uh, it's a tricky one, you know, because teachers themselves aren't so playful, you know. Maybe that's the problem. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, and and all of these, yeah, we just go we, we go into one thing after an, uh, into another thing here, you know. There are people they should be teachers, you know, they should be teachers, and that's their right place for them. There's lots of people. That shouldn't be teachers, you know. It wasn't their calling, you know. And uh, 
but anyway, let's say anyway we we have. Um, I don't want to go too much into like a solution for this thing here, right? But if we already have like this is a, this is an analogy of my friend Pete, right? This is this. It's like you have one shoe, medium size, and um, if it's too big for you, you just put a bit, bit of paper up the end, and uh, then you, you're okay. If the shoe is too small for you, well, perhaps you just have to cut off your toes. And, uh, <laughs> you know, so this whole idea of one size for all doesn't work. It doesn't work, you know. And um, and it's this whole thing. If we, we learn through joy and we learn through our interests, you know, so right now, I don't have all the argumentation here. You know, there, there are colleagues that talk much more detail about uh, all, all this. You know, it's just that um, we could do tiny things to let people feel freer, you know? And also, even, even not just playfulness, even the Rosenberg, he also wrote a book about, um, about nonviolent communication in, school, in schools. You know, if we really ask people how they are, what's going on, allow them to talk, allow them to express themselves, they calm down, you know? Hyperactive kids, perhaps they should just be in the nature, you know? Perhaps they shouldn't be behind desks. Perhaps, what was this story? I don't remember what this story was now. There was a story about this girl, she was, uh, she couldn't sit still or anything. And then the president, they came into the office, the president put some music on, <clears throat> then they left and they just watched from the corner and they could see that she was dancing, you know? Said your child doesn't have a, an attention problem. She's a dancer, you know? So it's really tricky, eh? Because teachers, obviously, they 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 come from a place that they know, you know. As a culture, we're not used to playfulness attitude. So if it didn't come, if it didn't come to you spontaneously, it's tricky, you know. And they all have their pressures. Of course, they have their pressures. They have their pressures to get uh, grades. They have the pressures to get this and all of these things because the parents want them. You know, it's all got. It's all we're in a bit of a, we're in a bit of a sticky rut here, you know. Um, but we're trying, I'm trying anyway, with, this, with these new projects of mine, with the Playfulness Festival, and there are lots of people out there promoting um, tools for playfulness, no? And also in this quarantine period, I saw a lot of ideas that, that people could do at home with their children. You know, simple things, you know? It, it's things that connect you together, and just even with straws blowing balls along the floor, you know? And, and, uh, but, but yeah, I, I think uh, I, we need to question this. I can only say this, we need to question this a bit more. It's not, it's not a question of, yeah, play is great in schools or play, no, it shouldn't be in schools. It's a risk. I could say this, it, it's a risk, uh, playfulness, recess, as they, they call it in America. In lots of places, they're, they're taking, removing it because there are more important things to do. No, 
I don't know. I think this is uh, this is not the best way to learn. But that said, you know, at school, when I went to school, we had music and arts, and they were both the strictest teachers of the whole school were the music and arts teacher. You know, so this was strange to me as well. You know, it's like, I was scared of these teachers, you know. I ha you had to do the homework for these teachers, you know. So there again, you know, it's like, Perhaps this guy he could have been he could have expressed his passion more. I, I don't know, you know, I don't know. It's, it's it's too easy to to say, you know, I don't know what this guy was living, I don't know what situation he was in. I know that uh, people draw a lot, you know. Every week we 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 drew the things at home and uh but it's this I don't I don't know. So <laughs> well, that's that's great. And I think what, what you put as like, people have to see and feel their calling. And for some people, teaching might be a calling. I think for you as well, teaching and facilitating is, uh, is a calling that's so important to also take pauses uh, like this to, uh, to refocus on, on your, own, your own calling. As a last question, I think you definitely find your calling in this infinite game called, uh, called juggling. What are your uh, your visions and also your your project for the next decades? Is there anything that, that you'd like to share with our audience? Um, yeah, I would like to. I just we just managed to successfully crowdfund the, um, the German edition, which I'm very grateful to all the people that supported it. Um, I would quite like to make a Spanish edition as well, and perhaps some other foreign foreign editions. Let's see. We need to uh, need to create some teams that are interested, and then uh, and then it's all a lot a lot easier, uh, possible more than easier. You know, uh, um, this year, this summer, um, I'm organising a teacher training for pearls of juggling. I don't know if I'll do this again. Maybe maybe next year. You know, I've always had in these 20 years, I've always had in the back of my mind that. Um, It would be good to do like a month or three months, by the way, three months is probably too much, but a month um, juggling workshop, you know. It would be a school. It's a school, you know, like, like the Zen of juggling. Um, but it's just finding the amount of people that, that could possibly do it and perhaps need sponsors or some sort of financing because jugglers, they don't have the money to do these things, you know. So working out how to do this, that would be that would be great. And um, I'm looking a lot more into playfulness right now. This is what I'm what I'm interested in. But um, I've realised also that juggling is my playful practice. You know, essentially, juggling is my creative and playful practice. So yeah, I should write some more things, and um, yeah, carry on teaching. Corona, this whole situation has, has, has made a lot of changes for, for teaching and a lot of changes for, for moving about. You know, I'm very happy that we're not flying about so much now. You know, I think it's really important. So I don't even want to encourage people flying about anymore, you know. So where we can work in the world, like with internet, I think this is important. I also think it's really important to work locally, to do lots of things locally. I think we need both of these things. Mm. Great. Well, yeah. 
Think global, act, act local. I think that that will be a new uh, new mantra that we all have to uh, to integrate more and more for for having our planet as well ready to to play on for the next generations. Yeah, thank you. Uh, thank you so much, Anthony, for your time, your well pearls of wisdom from uh, from juggling or education towards yeah what it means to be an artist to dive into this was uh, was really an uh, an epic episode. Thanks, thanks for much. Uh, do you have anything like the last words of wisdom that you would like to to share with our audience, your credo? Um, oh, there are lots of things, but uh, I think it's important to. This is what Alan Watts says as well. He's got lots of videos on YouTube, or people have made videos of this. this. Dive into what you love, you know, and then you'll become a master of it and then it will become what you do, you know? So we can't think, right now is the best time in the world to, to, to just experiment, try things out. This feels good, try it out. You know, we've got nothing to really lose now. So just go for it. Great, well, let's, let's go for it. Let's experiment, let's, uh, let's juggle virtual high five. <laughs> and uh, yeah, stay stay tuned for this episode and uh, and thanks so much, Anthony. Wow, 90 minutes of wisdom about the power of play and why we all have to experiment. I hope you could learn a lot in this episode. Let's please stay in touch and follow us on Instagram at CArtsNow.